Hello, this is Jane Sigford. This podcast, Views and Voice Above the Noise, is hosted by MASA, Minnesota Association of School Administrators. Today the podcast is entitled, Changing the Conversation, Redesigning Schools Through Deeper Learning. I hesitate using the term redesign because that term and the terms reform and transformation have all been used rather loosely. To quote Shakespeare, they have been full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. But deeper learning is different in that it refocuses us on what we know works, good pedagogy. It also is not a thing to be done or accomplished. It is a process. It supports the reason that people want to be teachers, to facilitate learning and to create educated, lifelong learners of our students. I have recently been reading and researching this topic and was very excited about it. I'm going to share some things about deeper learning in this podcast and then in deeper teaching and deeper leading in another podcast. We have become hyper-concerned about results on standardized tests and comparisons with other schools, districts, and states, which is part of the emphasis on accountability. We have conflated that word accountability with successful learning, but that is inaccurate. Memorizing factoids and regurgitating them in a multiple-choice answer is not an indicator of learning, of active engagement, of questioning, of extending one's learning into reality. It is a simplistic measure of rote learning at the lowest level of Bloom's taxonomy. Therefore, I believe we need to change the conversation so that the focus is on learning versus external accountability, learning versus competition and comparison among schools, districts, and states, mastery versus coverage, engagement versus boredom, individual needs of students and districts versus standardization across districts and states, because one size doesn't fit all. In fact, one size doesn't even fit most. Let's focus learning so that it leads to new ideas versus factoids and multiple choice answers. Let's create significant change versus tinkering. Let's have actively engaged learning leaders versus managerial or business type leaders. We have mistakenly used external assessments as indicators of successful learning. In his book, Deep Learning, author Michael Fullan, and I'll describe him more completely later, says external assessments are ineffective to adequately assess learning and ineffective in promoting rich learning for all students. Fullen would say we are using the wrong drivers in that we use external test scores as a driver when in fact I feel they are more like hammers. Someone with a hammer in hand thinks most things are nails that have to be pounded in. Learning should not be pounded in but should be a delight like the first lick of an ice cream cone. It should leave you wanting more. Years ago No Child Left Behind ushered in an era of supposed accountability and standardization through curriculum standards and standardized tests. Many of us thought NCLB was bad public policy from the beginning. Now even college professors are seeing the results of this bad law. In fact, there was an article entitled, Law Professors See the Damage Done by No Child Left Behind, written by Michelle Goodwin, and one can find this article online. Current high school graduates were educated entirely under the mandates of NCLB. Ms. Goodwin says that they are seeing college students that are ill-prepared for critical thinking, rigorous reading, high-level writing, and working independently. Plus, students are conditioned to just want the answers, even to the point of demanding copies of the professor's notes. In addition, student writing lacks clarity, 
focus, and inferential and critical thinking. This is not the type of learner we want to produce. We need to change the conversation. When we change the conversation, it needs to be on creating deeper learning, which requires deeper teaching for all of our students and by all of our teachers. Michael Fullen is one researcher who is working to create this change. He wrote a book entitled Deep Learning. Throughout the book, when he discusses the process, he capitalizes the two words, capital D, capital L. But I would challenge that practice. Highlighting the idea with capital letters implies that it is a thing which would turn it into another bandwagon, another thing where teachers say, I do deep teaching, my students do deep learning. It is not a thing. It is active and ongoing, which is more represented by the words deeper learning, deeper teaching, lowercase, which implies that it is not another bandwagon, but a living, ever-changing, ongoing process. Deeper learning and deeper teaching require that we must return to an emphasis on pedagogy which has been neglected for the emphasis of coverage of standards. They demand collaboration and listening among teachers, students, parents, community, and administration. The conversation must develop over time. It's exciting because it creates classrooms and atmospheres where all students are engaged and excited about learning, which is what we all hoped for when we became teachers, I believe. Another resource is the work of Jal Maida and Sarah Fine, who co-authored a book entitled In Search of Deeper Learning, The Quest to Remake the American High School, which was based on their five-year research study of high schools across the U.S. They visited all types of high schools, including private and charter schools, to try to find classrooms where students were deeply engaged in learning and, as a corollary, to then discern what type of teacher created that atmosphere. What they found was really not surprising, but on the other hand, was rather discouraging. They measured the degree of complexity of content and instruction by examining where instruction fell on Bloom's taxonomy. Sadly, they discovered that in four out of five classrooms, instruction occurred in the bottom half of Bloom's taxonomy, at the remembering and understanding levels, and occasionally at the applying level. Rarely was the learning at the analyzing, evaluating, creating levels those levels that are crucial to inference-making, critical thinking, or extension of the learning into real-life application. The longer kids are in school, the less engaged and more bored they become. It is no surprise that a Gallup poll found that engagement in classes declined from 75% of fifth graders being engaged to only 32% of juniors. Sitting in a classroom that only requires rote thinking, finding the right answer, and regurgitation is contraindicated when one wants engagement, excitement, and extension of learning. To clarify, Maida and Fine used a definition from cognitive scientists in that deeper learning is where learners have schemas that help them see how discrete pieces of knowledge in a domain are connected. What is important is connections, seeing the big picture, and asking what-if questions. It's a concentration on frameworks, not factoids. Our media-savvy kids who have been raised with Google and Wikipedia and other media apps Note if they want stuff and factoids, all they just have to do is Google a question. And why would we spend so much time concentrating on such stuff when, as Shugata Mitra, professor of educational technology at Newcastle University and winner of the 2013 TED Talks Prize, says that if all this stuff is on Google, why do we have to stuff it into their heads? Instead, we need to concentrate on extensions of knowledge and creating meaning. We need to change the conversation to have global learners and thinkers.
Meta and Fine found deeper learning more often in electives and activities. Also, they sometimes found it in comprehensive high schools and high poverty areas where teachers recognized the need to meet learners where they are and to scaffold them to where they need to be. It was found in classrooms where teachers were willing to challenge the, quote, grammar of schooling, unquote, which is a term coined by Cuban and Tayac. Some of the reasons we do not see more deeper learning is that we are confined by our presumed paradigm of schools. Larry Cuban and David Tayac from Stanford University, in their book, Tinkering Toward Utopia, A Century of Public School Reform, named the grammar of schooling as a factor in our paralysis opposing change. The grammar of schooling are the procedures and practices that we have come to believe are part of school and have been for a century. Things like seating charts, egg crate schools, grade level instruction, discrete content areas, and so on. If we're honest, one would recognize that those are all determined by adults, not students. We feel locked in because of something's familiar or that's the way we've always done it. However, it does not have to be that way. If school was really about learning, not about age and seat time, there would be many changes. Earlier I mentioned Michael Fullen, who is a former dean of the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education of the University of Toronto and is currently the Global Leadership Director of NPDL, New Pedagogies for Deeper Learning, and author of many books on educational leadership, including his recent work, Deep Learning. He and his organization are working in seven countries, Australia, Canada, Finland, Netherlands, New Zealand, Uruguay, and the U.S. in four states, California, Michigan, Washington, and Connecticut, and with hundreds of schools whose collaborative efforts are working toward change. His organization is called NPDL, New Pedagogies for Deeper Learning, which can be found online. They also sponsor conferences. Fullen says that, quote, deep learning is different in nature and scope than any other education innovation ever tried. It changes outcomes. In our case, the six C's of global competencies, character, citizenship, collaboration, communication, creativity, and critical thinking. And it changes learning by focusing on personally and collectively meaningful matters and by delving into them in a way that alters forever the roles of students, teachers, families, and others. Most of all, it affects the whole system, all members of the system, children and adults alike. With our school partners, we have made substantial progress down the path of education transformation, end quote, which is Roman numeral page 8 in the book, Deep Learning. There's another quote from his book, Deep Learning represents a change in culture. It is not a change in program. Programs don't scale. Culture does, which is a quote from Scott in that book of Deep Learning. Fullen is named for what he calls pillars that are foundational to creating that type of environment which creates deeper learning. The four pillars form a circle surrounding the pillar of leadership. All pillars feed upon and support each other as they are interdependent and non-hierarchical. The pillars are leveraging digital, pedagogical practices, learning partnerships, and learning environments. Leadership is in the center of all four. I will give a short version of each pillar, but more is found in Fullen's book. Learning environments are physical structures that allow for interaction among disciplines, student engagement, research time, discussion time. The book The Third Teacher and the work of architects across nations, including in our own state of Minnesota, 
have created new buildings in collaboration with their respective communities to allow more open spaces, more interactive spaces, more interdisciplinary spaces, spaces for individual work and for some group work. The physical plants are alive and probably noisier, which I think is great, because one of the old pieces of the grammar of schooling is that classrooms are supposed to be quiet. I even remember a co-worker telling me that a principal of hers once walked by our classroom where students were very busy and told her that the room was too noisy and to get the students to quiet down. I don't know about you, but I think sometimes learning is best when it's messy, noisy, and physical. Another pillar, learning partnerships, is the recognition that community engagement is vital. Students need to be engaged in professions and real-world creativity and work, and our schools are integral parts of our communities. Businesses in a community are both receivers and givers of quality education. They are a vital resource to be tapped, and they want to receive highly qualified employees. Students may even meet in a setting off campus in a university, transportation hub, a hospital, a business center. Students may have mentors and experience internships. And no, this is not just for students who aren't going on for further education in a four-year institution. The third pillar is leveraging technology, and I love that term. We need to leverage it, not use it as a panacea for instruction or delivery or content. We are users of technology. It should not use us. Technology does not replace good pedagogy. It does not replace human interaction and assessment. In his blog, Larry Cuban recently reflected on an article which was printed in the New York Times titled, How to Build Artificial Intelligence We Can Trust, which was authored by Gary Marcus and Ernest Davis. Cuban's reaction to that article was, quote, Artificial intelligence has a trust problem. We are relying on AI more and more, but it hasn't yet earned our confidence. I love that quote. Technology simply does not replace good pedagogy. It does not replace human interaction and assessment. I have saved my favorite for last, the fourth pillar, pedagogical practices, which Fullen says is the weakest of the four. As a former executive director of curriculum instruction, I agree it is the weakest. We've gone away from training in effective pedagogy and have often replaced that with implementation strategies for a new curriculum or for technical training in how to use a new software. Also, I was a former adjunct professor of educational psychology and I believe that our pre-service programs at the university level have also been trapped by the accountability snare in that they worry about whether their graduates will pass the state licensure tests rather than worrying about providing a diverse experience in effective pedagogical practices. In Minnesota, the de-emphasis on pedagogy is witnessed by the decrease in networks for the curriculum and instruction leaders in our districts and across the state. There used to be several vibrant regional networks for curriculum leaders where they would share and create. There used to be a statewide annual conference for curriculum leaders across the state hosted by Minnesota Association of School Administrators, MASA, where curriculum leaders would learn and share. That is not the case anymore because in some cases these positions no longer exist or they have been morphed into something else. There used to be skilled content area practitioners available at the Minnesota Department of Education that could come and help districts. That has been gone for a long time, only to be replaced by our monitoring focus. 
There are even districts who have eliminated curriculum positions totally and replaced them, question mark, theoretically with technology specialists. Someone who's skilled in technology use may not be skilled in effective pedagogical strategies or even in effective curriculum. Their training may not be in education at all, but in technological systems. Plus, technology specialists are not likely to be trained in how to deliver effective staff development. I'm sure we've all sat through training programs where an expert in a software product was conducting a training, but their professional development skills were not very effective. In the center of the four pillars is leadership, which will be the topic for the part two of this podcast. It is literally and figuratively central to creating this culture of deeper learning and teaching and is worthy of its own further discussion. We must change this conversation to become more global in our thinking, instructional practices, and content. Thomas Friedman, in his book, Thank You for Being Late, discussed the three accelerators of change currently operating in our society, globalization, climate change, and technology. All three are changing rapidly, and they are not taking turns in creating change, but they are doing it all at once, which creates the feeling that nothing is staying the same and that change is becoming more rapid and more diffuse. That's all true. Because of that, quote, according to Thomas Friedman, the most valued worker today is not the one that can just take on more and more complex tasks, but the worker who can also learn by doing that task and can't identify ways to fork off from it to create new opportunities, markets, products, or services for themselves or their firm." Unquote. He even suggests we should never ask a student today, what are you going to be when you grow up? What's your major? What do you do for a living? Because they all imply set roles. The question should be, how are you going to be when you grow up? What is your passion? How will you make your passion productive? The greatest gift a teacher can give a student or a parent can give a child is a mindset. What is your attitude toward the global flow? How disposed are you to learning from them and adding to them? How equipped are you to filter the junk and fake news from the real knowledge and facts? When held up to the test results of other countries around the world on such tests as the PISA, the U.S. is often criticized for not having higher test scores. Such comparisons are part of the old grammar of schooling that needs to change. To do so, Fullen has created the vision for all students that they learn what he defines as the six C's or competencies of global citizens, character, citizenship, collaboration, communication, creativity, and critical thinking. Fullen has researched what other organizations have said is needed for such global citizens. Some would call these soft skills Yet they are the skills that employers and universities say are sadly lacking from our K-12 graduates. Fullen suggests that they are the umbrella under which resides our content and instruction. If our umbrella or vision statement is to create global citizens who demonstrate those things, character, citizenship, collaboration, communication, creativity, and critical thinking, then we must change our grammar of schooling that designs curriculum and standards as though it's a logical, linear progression from pre-K to 12. Learning is not linear. It is often chaotic and fractal in nature. What might be confusing about the global competencies to parents and community is that they might ask, what happened to the three R's? Where's history? When does my child learn how to write a good essay? Therefore, in collaboration with administration and teachers, we must establish simple, capitalized, educational goals by level, elementary, middle, and high. 
I use such clusters because learning is not necessarily determined by age. Sometimes there's more variation in reading skills within a class of third graders than there is between a supposed third and fourth grader. We need to develop clear one or two sentences about the non-negotiable academic goals by level which are taught within those competencies of global citizenship. I do not know anyone who does not want their student or child to demonstrate good character, to be able to collaborate, to communicate in a wide variety of ways, to be creative, or to think critically. We must work with teachers to create these simple statements. By doing so, we are modeling some of the global competencies ourselves and leaders as being the type of learning leader that is necessary. With our teachers, we must be specific in what skills are non-negotiable by age level. As an example, I believe that developmentally the role of elementary students and teachers is to acquire reading skills that are secure in knowing how to decode and understand the written word up to an artificially designated fifth grade level, recognizing that that in itself is an artificial benchmark. Fifth grade reading level, for example, is one of the things that we have established as part of the grammar of schooling. It's a certain set of skills that isn't necessarily ascribed or assigned to a certain grade level or age. Elementary students should be secure in the manipulation of math algorithms, including long division fractions. Some people would say that they only use calculators later, so why is that necessary? Because one must know how the algorithm operates in order to ask the calculator the correct question. Elementary students must be knowledgeable about effective and safe use of technology for research and clerical functions. To accomplish this, elementary school should be restructured so that students are taught at their instructional level, not age, much like what has been called continuous progress schools. Some students may be advanced in math but less skilled in reading. Notice, I did not assign a grade level to a certain skill because that in itself is artificial and the product of standards and textbooks. What is important is the skill and the knowledge itself, not what supposed artificial grade level has claimed that skill. What is important throughout this is recognizing that developmentally some tasks are inappropriate at certain ages. Abstract thinking, for example, is more appropriate at older ages, which is why the controversy reigns over the appropriate age for teaching algebra. Perhaps the discussion should be what is the appropriate age for students to learn algebra, when in fact readiness could vary by several years. Middle school is an age of self-discovery and experimentation. It's a wonderful blend of child and emerging teenager. It's a time for students to refine some writing and math skills, but to explore new opportunities in art, music, technology, industrial technology, so students can begin to discover their interests and abilities. High school needs to change the most. Recognizing developmental differences, I would cluster areas of interest so some introductory courses could be taken by any grade level and more sophisticated courses in such things as music, art, literature could also be taken by students at their instructional level. Courses would be interdepartmental, much like the current CAPS, Center for Advanced Professional Studies, a program which is found in several high schools around Minnesota. Courses are team taught across disciplines. Students have a mentor from someone in the business community. Students have access to college credit. The program is not just for students who do not plan on attending a four-year institution. It's designed to integrate content areas and to establish learning partnerships like one of four Fullen's four pillars. 
Topics in high school, particularly at the upper levels, need to be contemporary, using students to research and ask questions such things as, how did we get into a war in Afghanistan for 18 years? How can we solve traffic congestion? What's a feasible way to fund medical care? Such topics are demanding and integrate the skills we want for our students in math, reading, technology. Plus, they involve all of Fulton's six C's of global citizenship. These changes would incite deeper teaching and deeper learning, but can only happen with, to coin my own phrase, deeper leadership, more collaboration, more listening to teachers, more active participation and awareness with our communities. No surprise, it takes time, commitment, courage, and excitement. Does this mean that teachers have to learn all new skills? No. They currently utilize many effective practices, inquiry-based learning, personalized learning, Socratic questioning, mindfulness, and so on. Instead, it's a conscious decision-making process of utilizing strategies that bring all students to deeper learning. The new ideas would be to fuse some of these practices with some other new ones to foster the creation and application of new ideas and knowledge in real life, according to Fullen. Fullen, Maida, and Fine talk about how deeper learning is particularly helpful for those students who have been disengaged. In some high-poverty high schools, Maida and Fine found teachers who challenged the thinking of their students and yet scaffolded the skills necessary as they went. For example, if students researched a topic and gathered information but were unclear about how to organize it for a paper, that was a skill that could be taught in context. It's taking students where they are and giving them the skills to go further. As a personal note, I believe that teachers who practice effective pedagogy leading to deeper learning are often those who are excited about their content. They see meaning that extends from their classroom into the real world. And they believe that every child should love what is being taught. Effective pedagogy can turn the so-called dullest subject matter, quadratic equations come to mind, into something that makes one think about that and want to learn more about it. As a personal example, when I was a high school administrator, I never could understand why so many of our students wanted to be in AP government. To me, government was dry, boring, because that had been ex my experience in high school, college, and even in real life. I did an observation of our government teacher to see what on earth he was doing. Was he paying them? Giving them candy every day? not giving homework, which I knew wasn't true because students scored high on the exams of the factoids necessary. No, he was so excited about what he was teaching that every day in that class, he literally bounced around the room, engaging students in discussions, role plays, and questions that related current events to the topic at hand. Such questions as, what would happen in the last election if there were no electoral college? Because of his love of his subject, his teaching, and his students, he even had students graduate from college and become active in statewide and local politics. That is deep learning and deep teaching. The next podcast will talk about deeper teaching. What type of teacher is this type of teacher? How do they become such a teacher? How do we retrain our current teachers to think this way? How do we even hire new teachers with deeper learning and teaching in mind? Also, I'll talk about what type of leadership is needed as the center of these four pillars and where do we start. To close, deeper learning is that type of learning that calls for reflection and extension. It connects. It builds upon prior knowledge. It develops schemas. It may answer the questions how and why, 
but it also creates the question, what if? It should leave students wanting that next lick of the ice cream cone. This is Jane Sigford signing off. As a final word of wisdom, I'd like to use a quote from Barack Obama. Change will not come if we wait for some other person or some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change that we see." End quote. Thanks for listening.